The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. Amen. Hey, well, we have come in our study of the, the, the book of Acts. You guys enjoying the story so far? Like, I, I enjoy, we've done a lot of different teaching, a lot of different topics and all kinds of stuff. I, I enjoy some good narrative. Just watching the story of Scripture unfold for us. And, and so far, already in Acts, we've seen uh, Jesus come, and he, and he commissioned his, his followers. He ascended up into heaven. They waited for the Holy Spirit. He shows up. Boom. Crazy things are happening. People getting saved and supernatural being poured out. This Peter gets up, and he begins to preach, and people start getting saved. It's pretty pretty amazing things that have happened so far just in the, the early couple of chapters of Acts. And then Luke, uh, the author of Acts here, he, he's going to do this. We're going we're to run into this a few times in, in the book. Uh, this is maybe the, where, where he just gives a, a snapshot, all right? Like it's the storyline, and then he like pauses, and then gives like a, a, a little like snapshot of church life in this moment. He'll do this a few times, but this is probably one of the more notable times that he does this. It's, it's a, a verse of scripture, a passage of scripture that I love. I've referenced a lot. Uh, if you're a part of our house churches, uh, this spring or, or winter spring, uh, past the winter spring season, this is where we just like camped out for a while in the teaching on it. But I'm excited because it gives one of the most beautiful pictures of church life. Have you ever, have you ever, I'm sure you probably have, you ever stopped and just been like, man, I wonder what church life was like when this, this whole thing got started. What was that like to be a follower of Jesus in the early days? Hey, I'm going to give you a little, not me, Luke, uh, in the book of Acts is going to give you a little snapshot. So if you've got your Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. And we're going to start off in, in uh, verse 42. Okay, so just picking up where we just left off, G, uh, Peter just preached. Um, all these people got saved, and it's not just it's not just those who lived in Jerusalem. Remember, there's the big festival, the big holiday, Pentecost, and all these people were for, were in Jerusalem for all, from all over the world. They're gathered here. Uh, the Holy Spirit broke out. People started getting saved, and three thousand people got saved in a day. Right now, if you can imagine, a lot of them didn't live in Jerusalem. Right, so things have settled down. A lot of people have left, which is the beginning of the spread of the gospel, which is pretty cool how God works let's say two-thirds of them, right? You still have 2,000 people, brand new believers in Jesus. Now, if, if you've ever been in any kind of church leadership or really any kind of leadership at all, think about the challenges here. This society had been living under the Old Testament covenant, right? The temple and the sacrifice, and sacrifice. this is all they've ever known. And then all of a sudden, the message of Jesus comes out, and now there's these 2,000 people locally, maybe 3,000 people abroad. And there's these, these 12 in particular, the leaders in the church, who are now responsible for doing what Jesus just told them to do. Teaching them, remember what he said at the end of Matthew? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Is it, would that not be an overwhelming task? Like, I can do that with 120 people. We can, we can do this thing. Now you, there's thousands of people. There are no large churches and conference centers where we're going to gather every week and we're going to walk systematically. No, no. Like, what's interesting then is, is Peter doesn't, or I'm sorry, Luke doesn't just paint this picture and say, okay, here's the systematic process of biblical study that we uh, engaged in, and here's how we went through it step by step. 
He doesn't say, here's the evangelical, like the evangelistic uh, strategy on how we're going to um, map things out and cover the whole world. He said, this is, this is really what the church looked like. This is, this is a snapshot. He said, they, that's those who are following Jesus, now this group of 3,000, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possession to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that so cool? Like, could you, could you imagine what's happening here? This is real life. These are real people. This is like actually what happened. Like, like they opened their eyes to the story and the message of Jesus. And, and, and don't, don't get me wrong. This is a culture that is hostile and antagonistic to the message of Jesus. Like literally, they just killed him less than two months ago. And now this Jesus movement is exploding. And people are like, man, like I, I'm, I, I've got a lot. You know what? What if I... Hey, honey, what if we sold half of our property and then just gave all the money to the church leadership so they could divvy it out to all? Because I know there's so many people who are followers of Jesus right now who just don't have money, like they're like struggling to pay their bills. What if we just sold half of our estate and then just and just and gave it to them so they could disperse it to those in need? Like, you know what? This is so important. Like we are united in this thing, this, this hostile environment. Like Let's, let's just, let's make sure we know, like, we need to know the people who are on the same page as us, right? Like, and so what do they do? They're, they're meeting together in each other's homes and they're, they're, they're daily going, like, we struggle sometimes going to church once a week. Some of us struggle to go to church once a month. <laughs> they met together in the temple courts every day. Why? Because they're like, we need to, we need to be united in this thing. You know, I, I think, I, you know, when I read this, like so many people, I, I, I read this and I, there's part of me that's like, what do I have to do to have community like that? I want that. Don't you? Like just, just that richness. Like they were, it says the word together three times. All the believers were together and uh, they met together in the temple courts. They ate together uh, in, in their homes, right? Like, like I, 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 this is so awesome. But let me ask you, is this just some kind of like, unattainable utopia? Or do you think this is actually possible? Do you, do you think this is a possible reality of how believers today can live? I, I know there's part of it like, th th it doesn't seem like just the schedules and just the pace of, like, we can't actually live like this. I think part of the, the struggle here is that what does like this mean? <laughs> So out of all of us in here, there's probably, a, a, we all probably have like a, a few different pictures of what this probably looked like back then. Some are probably more accurate than others, right? But we all have slightly different pictures of what this probably looked like. And then from those variety of pictures of what we think this looks like, now let's try to picture what it should look like today. And now we probably have dozens and dozens of different pictures of what, what if I were to do this right now, what would that look like? And so that kind of creates a little bit of a challenge, doesn't it? 
if we've all got a different picture of what this like united body of Christ is supposed to look like or ought to look like or could look like, now we're all trying to live that out in different ways. This, this, becomes, this becomes a little tough. So here, in order to understand this text, I, I want to make sure that our focus is in the right place. You know, it's really easy to look at just this, this beautiful picture of community and unity and all this kind of stuff and just be like, I want that. How do I get that? Let me chase that. And some of us have, have given a decent amount of ourselves in order to chase that picture. But let me draw your attention to verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to a few different things. The apostles' teaching, which in other words is like, they wanted to learn and grow. I think it's really easy for us in the church world today to be like, I know all the stories. I've learned all the principles. I know all the characteristics of God. Like, I'm good. Yeah, every once in a while, I'll stumble on something new, and that'll be really nice. But there's, there's a culture in the church that was like, man, I'm hungry for more. What if, what if we had that same attitude? What if I was devoted? You know, like, I'm devoted to God's word because I read it every day. What if I, but are you devoted like, to the apostles' teaching, like to learning? Are you devoted to growing? Are you, or, 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 or have you come to a spot you're like, okay, I kind of get it. Now I just got to brush up on all my stuff. Or are you saying like, I'm not there yet. There's a humility in saying that you're devoted to the apostles' teachings. There's a humility in saying that I'm, a, I'm devoted to learning and growing. They devoted themselves to growth. Could it be that maybe the place where I feel like I'm satisfied, you know what, I've learned that I have a temper and that when I get worked up, I learned that my initial response is anger, but I've learned some practices to help calm myself down so that I don't respond like a jerk. Praise God. Hey, and that's part of the journey. But, but can I just tell you that? You're not done learning because you know what God wants to do even in that scenario? He wants to teach you how to live with his heart so your natural response is not anger, but your natural response, even when all your buttons are pushed, is love. Are you there yet? You see, here's the thing. They were devoted to their own spiritual growth, to learning from the apostles. They humbly submitted themselves to their teaching and to the word of God and said, I want to grow. They were devoted to it. Let's, let's be careful that we don't become... Christian know-it-alls and put a cap on our own development. They devote themselves to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Some are going to say the breaking of bread, that's like, uh, 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 speaking of communion, others are going to say it's to like having meals in each other's homes. I think it may have a reference to both. I would lean towards the, the community uh, uh, meals and homes simply because it's referenced there in the next few verses. But listen, this is, they were devoted to this. They, they, were, they were like, this is how we're going to live our lives in community with one another. And what does that mean? Three times it says it, what, they were together. They met together. They ate together. They were together. Devoted to fellowship, which means they're devoted to being together. Now notice this. Remember, how many believers-ish are there in, in Jerusalem? Let's, let's say it's 2,000. They weren't devoted to being together with everyone, <laughs> but they're devoted to being together with those that God had placed in their lives those who are nearest to them. Um, and yeah, they, they, they were, there was a commitment there. And then lastly, um, they're devoted to prayer. Earlier in, in chapter one, remember it says they constantly prayed. They were constantly praying. Now here's the thing. 
A lot of us, we read this verse, and I've been guilty of this before. We read this verse, and we instantly jump to like verses 44 through 47, right? And they're together, and it's everything in common, and everything is good. And, and so what we end up doing is we end up chasing community. Maybe you've done this. Maybe you're in the middle of this. Maybe you've watched people do this. You're chasing community. You're chasing community. You're after. You're like, man, there's that picture right there. That's what I want. I'm going to do anything I can to get that. And so what happens is I get this picture in my head of what this is supposed to look like, what this should look like based on things I, I read in the scripture or so oftentimes based on my own past experiences and church experience. I get this picture and then I do everything I can to recreate this experience of community. And yet I think our focus is oftentimes in the wrong place. You see, verse 42, I think, is the key to the whole thing. And everything happens after verse 42. It's just a gift from God. The community, like, there's a variety of, of things that happen. It's an outcome of the devoted life, right? They lived devoted, is what they said. They devoted themselves to the word of God, to, to the apostles' teachings, to, to learning, to growing. They devoted themselves to the community. They devoted themselves to prayer. And when they did this, then 43 through 47 happened. Miracles took, uh, happened. Community was formed. People got saved. And yet, when we, when we pursue the outcome, we tend to miss all of it. We, we, we want to chase community or chase the miraculous or even chase revival. But these things, as we see in this text, these things are outcomes of what happened in verse 42. These things are gifts of God that he pours out to those who are willing to live a devoted life. We tend to chase the gift. We chase the outcome. We chase the experience. But God is not teaching us. God is not asking us to chase community. God is calling us to live devoted lives. Okay, so what does that mean? See, I think this, this picture of devotion is really the central theme of this all. This picture of what does it mean to be devoted. Now, I, I, want, you, I want to give you a, like a, a, a mental picture here a little bit. When you hear the word devotion, or devoted, I want you to think of boundaries. Yeah, I know, everybody hates boundaries, right? I'm gonna break boundaries. Well, okay, just calm down for just a moment, okay? Boundaries don't sound fun. We're not good at boundaries, which I believe is why most of us are not very good at devotion. <laughs> Let me explain. So here we go, Christianity 101. Don't sin. Okay, <laughs> right? When we got saved, we lived in this land of grace, and it's a beautiful land of grace. And God has poured out his forgiveness and grace on all of us. But in this land of grace, there are cliffs that the word of God says, don't jump off the cliffs. And it's not because God's angry or controlling. It's because he knows that when you jump off cliffs, you get hurt. Now, this is a very oversimplified look at this, but roll with me here. We're still at Christianity 101. You live in a land of grace, but there are cliffs. There are some cliffs, like, you know, ditches on the side of the highway, that if you, if you jump into, you, you might get hurt a little bit. Then there's like the Grand Canyon. If you fall off that one, like, that's, that's a bummer, okay? Um, and life is filled with these cliffs. 
yes, we live in grace, but if we step past this point, if we step into sin, there's a consequence for those actions, right? So Christianity 101, don't jump off the cliff. Okay, you following me? Christianity 201, you guys ready to go to the next step? Create boundaries to keep you from going where you don't want to go. Okay, here's the cliff. Sin would be stepping out of God's will for my life into disobedience, and I'm going to get hurt. Okay? Now, if we're only in this place, and this is often where we start, in the place of, of kind of immature, not, not derogatory, but just like early on in our, in our thinking. Sometimes we stay there for a really long time. But we're, we're, we're like, okay, I know I'm not supposed to sin. And so uh, I live my life asking these two questions. Or basically, basically, Mostly just one question. Is it sin? Yes? Okay. Then don't, then don't step over the edge. No? This isn't sin? Wait, wait. How about, how about that? Is that sin? Like we love asking, ooh. We love asking that question. Listen, maturity says this. I don't want to just not fall in the cliff. I want to live God's best. Right? And so, so, so even though I, I am, I have, the grace allows me to walk right up to it, maturity says, I know I'm prone to falling off this one, so I'm going to draw a boundary back here. Okay? I'm going to draw a boundary right here. And listen, boundaries are not necessarily, crossing a boundary is not necessarily sin. But it, maturity says, stay away from the things that are going to hurt you. A real obvious and, and easy one here is like if, if alcoholism has, has, has hurt you, your family, those around you, like don't drink, right? Like what are you saying? Jesus drank, why can't I drink? Well, because you fall off the cliff too easy, right? Pick, pick your favorite sin. That one's just really easy to see, um, right? If you're having fights at home with your spouse, and you really, 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 really enjoy your time with that coworker of the opposite sex. Like, okay, it's not bad to have a conversation. You work with them. And it's not even sin to go to lunch with them. But shoot, if it's really bad at home and you're really enjoying this relationship, why don't we set a boundary a little bit? Does that make sense? It doesn't mean you can't, it doesn't mean it's sin, but healthy understanding would say, set the boundary a little bit further. Okay, now we're going to wade into Christianity 301. Not everybody understands this, but this is where Acts 2.42 picks up. If Christianity 101 says, don't jump off the cliff, Christianity 201, that next level of maturity, says create boundaries to keep you from going where you don't want to go, Christianity 301, the next level of maturity in your walk with Christ, says create boundaries to keep you where you want to be. In other words, there's the cliff. Not every cliff needs a boundary. Some, some cliffs I, I don't even enjoy looking over. I, like, it, like it's not a, a thing. Other ones, I need some boundaries in my life, and I need to understand what that is. But then there's some things that I'm like, I really want X, Y, and Z in my life. Maybe it's as broad as, I want to live the fullness of God in every possible way. 
I want his richness. I want the blessing. I want all that he has for me. And so, and so here's what I'm going to do. Even though grace allows me to roam free, here's some specific things that I desire. So I'm going to make this boundary, this fence. I'm going to make this boundary for me. Is it, and, and, and it's not even near a cliff. Like it, it's, it's right here. Because this right here is where I want to be. But I know I'm prone to wandering. So I need to build some boundaries. This is like somebody's, hey, somebody's, you know, if I ask, hey, do you have consistent quiet time? And your response is, yeah. When is your quiet time? Well, you don't have consistent quiet time. Don't lie to me, okay? Um, Why? If you fail to pick a when and a what, if you fail to create boundaries for yourself, you're probably not ever going to make it to the place where you want to be in your maturity. If you're like, I'm going to do my quiet time whenever I kind of like, I got some free time, so I'm just going to kind of like fit it in wherever I can. Here's what's going to happen. First of all, you won't do it nearly as often as you like. Second, you're not going to do it nearly as often as you think you do. And third, you're going to find yourself wandering and giving this excuse of grace for not ever actually living the life that God has called us to and that honestly, deep down, you desire. Doesn't this seem really legalistic, though? Like, isn't, are we, are, are we verging onto, like, legalism? Are we starting to look like Pharisees? Um, let me ask you this. Is a runner who gets up at 5 a.m. every single morning to get ready for a marathon, is that legalistic? Or is it devoted? You see, we love to use our spiritual liberties and our grace and our freedom to get us out of doing anything that's going to bring health and strength to our Christian lives. Like all we have to do is listen to the, the, the voice of the devil say, that's so legalistic. And all of a sudden, boom, we are undoing what God is trying to establish in us. We are so afraid of being religious that it has robbed us of the fruit of living a devoted life. We crave community. We crave the release of the supernatural that working through us. We crave revival. We crave the picture, the experience of what that early church had, but we fail to live devoted to anything that would ever produce those results. Can I just tell you? Um, I, I mentioned online giving. Do you know why I do online giving and hit the recurring button? Because I know me and I know what I want, but I know how forgetful I am. I know how easy, especially if I forget it at the beginning of the month, I know how easy it is to be like, ah, I'll double up next month. No, I won't. And it's not because I'm trying to be legalistic, because I know what's in my heart. I want to honor God with the first fruits. I want to honor him with the tithe. But if, if I'm going to leave it up to me to remember or not forget or not get caught up with other things, then I'll fail to do it. I want, why do I, I have that space? Consider, why do I get up to, in the morning to spend that time with him? The morning's not my best time, but I know if I don't set a time, I, I'm not going to do it. I'll, I'll, I'll have my quiet time with lunch. And then lunch comes and goes, oh, before, the, before I, I leave, uh, right after I get home, or, or, or I'll just spend some time. No, I won't. 
Christianity 301. Let, 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 me, let me challenge us to mature past don't sin. Let's challenge, I want to challenge you to mature past, okay, I'm going to make a boundary to keep me from where I don't want to go. Friends, let's go on the proactive when it comes to our own spiritual development and stop living from a place of doing everything that I can not to sin, but rather building these boundaries in our own lives. They're going to make sure that we're living the life that we desire that God has for us. So what does that mean? What does that require? That's what I'm looking at. I want to look at four things because this devoted life, these building fences, these building boundaries around certain areas of our lives, like there's, it, it doesn't come natural to us. So let me, let me give a few things. Let me give us four things that living devoted requires of you. Living devoted requires of me. The first thing that living devoted requires is that you pay the price. Living devoted requires that you pay the price. What is the price? The price is the elimination of options. We live in a world that loves our options, a culture that loves options. Loves options. I want to keep my options open. Even to the point where somebody invites you to do something that you want to do, but you are so afraid to say yes because you know that your yes means no to every other question that comes about that time. We're awful at it, right? Anybody else? Like, like, like uh, yeah, I'm gonna, uh, yeah, that sounds fun. I'll try to do that. In other words, what are you saying? I'm not willing to commit to that because I want to keep my options open. If you want to live a devoted life in any capacity, whether it's, I gave the illustration of training for a marathon. All right, if you're going to train for this marathon, you got to get up at 5 a.m. every single day and you got to run X number of miles. Yeah, I'll give it my best shot. We'll see if nothing else comes up. You know what always comes up for me at 5 a.m.? Sleep every single day. It always comes up. It always comes up. So I'll do it at 5 p.m. You know what comes up at 5 p.m.? Lord knows. It could be anything, right? But something will. And so what living devoted first means is that you've got to be willing to pay the price to eliminate options in this certain boundary. And usually it's in our schedules. It's really paying the price in our resources. And by resources, I mean time, talent, and treasure. In our time, talent, and treasure. When I say yes, and not just a, a half yes, but when I say I'm going to live devoted to this thing, then I'm saying I'm giving my time, my talent, my treasure to this thing in this time, in this space, for this reason. You got to be willing to pay the price. We love options, we love our freedoms, we love our opportunities, and so the idea of saying yes to something and limiting my opportunity or limiting my freedom, if I define freedom by doing what I want when I want, um, we're going to struggle in this. It's essentially this. Let's say I'm going to be devoted to anything, a diet, a workout plan, a spiritual discipline. It, it's a predetermined yes to the things that I value which inevitably creates a predetermined no to everything else. Before you say, I'm going to live a devoted life to whatever it might be, you've got to be willing, and Jesus said this. Jesus said this about the Christian life. You've got to be willing to count the cost. You've got to be willing to say, if I say yes here, am I willing to say, yeah, that also means I'm going to say no to every other thing there. Are you willing to pay that price? You don't have to. We live in grace. 
But do you want the fullness of what God has for us? <laughs> I love, I'm going to brag on, on one of our own here. So I was meeting with, with some guys earlier this year um, and asked the question, uh, hey, what are some, like it was like in January, what are some of the goals that you have for this year? And, uh, <laughs> and Axel was there. Is Axel in here? Axel was there, and, and uh, he says, you know, at first I was like, well, I don't really have any goals. He's like, and then I, and then I, I realized it for a little bit, I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I have goals. I guess I didn't really think about it as goals. I just have things that I'm going to do. And I'm like, man, I wish I, wish I saw my, like, they're not goals. It's just like, I, 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 made, a, I made a decision, and I'm going to do it. It's not a goal. It's like predetermined decision that that's what I'm going to do. Listen, his non-goals are so much harder, like physically speaking, than anything that I've ever dreamed of attempting. And you're like, oh, that's not a goal. That's just what I'm going to do every single week of this year. Okay, right? Like, I love that. Why? Because it's a picture of a life devoted where it says, this isn't what I hope I'm going to accomplish. This is what I've predetermined to say yes to. So there's not an option of not doing this. I already decided. I'm devoted. That's what, picture, that's what devotion looks like. So first you have to pay the price. If you want to live a devoted life, living devoted requires that you pay the price. Living devoted requires that you know the purpose. If you're going to pay the price, you got to know why, right? Here's where legalism like gets into the equation. Devotion for the sake of devotion is just legalism, Right? If you're devoted because that's what you feel like you're supposed to do, well, good for you, I guess. But if we're going to live a life that's devoted, if I'm going to live a life that's devoted, I want to know why I'm saying no to all, all these other things. I want to say, I want to know why um, I'm going to limit my freedoms, limit my opportunities. I want to know why it's going to happen. I got to know the purpose for what this is all about. Listen, I want all that God has for me. I want his best. I want his abundant life. That's why. When it comes to spiritual disciplines, I want oneness with him. I want to know his heart. I want to be so close to him. And so, so, so the what I'm going to be devoted to just flows out of that. Like, I want to know him well. I want, I want closeness with him. And so, God, I just want to find things in your word that you clearly say are good for me, and I want to live devoted to that. And if you're like, I don't know what that looks like at first, just... Cut and paste Acts 2.42 to the devotion uh, goals of your own life and just see what happens there if you don't know where to start. To the apostles' teaching, to, to your own spiritual growth, to the community of the body of Christ and to prayer. It's hard to make disciplines, live devoted, if we don't know why we're doing it. Number three, living devoted requires commitment to the process requires commitment to the process. Here's the thing. And as a pastor, I've, 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 I've really, this has got me, I'll be honest. God, what? Show me. How, how, do, how are people discipled? God, give me the, the foundational things. Like, what, how do we move from here to there? God, what is, what's your process? And I pour over scripture, and how do, we, how do we grow? And what are the key ingredients? And what are all the things? God, show me the perfect process for growing a disciple. And you know what I found in, like, all my years of searching that out? Is there's no perfect process. 
The goal is not to find the perfect process to become a perfect disciple. The better goal would be find a process and work it as perfectly as you can. And it doesn't have to be perfect. But pick something and stick with it. <laughs> I, I want to show a hand just because I think that it's going to be a ton and ton of people, okay? If not, then I'll just be standing here by myself with my hand up. I don't know. How many of you have been like convinced on a spiritual goal for your life that is going to, this is going to do it and I'm going to commit to it and it's going to change my life and you're like ready to go and less, I'm going I'm to give a, a broad one, it, it could be way tighter, but less than a month, you completely had a different direction altogether and what was going to get you where you wanted to go. How many people have seen that? Uh, let, me, let me see a show of hands. Okay, listen, I'm going to challenge you with something. The first plan was probably good enough for you to grow somewhere. Sometimes we bail on the plan too fast, and then we get a new plan, and then we get a new plan, and what ends up happening is nothing but frustration. Work the plan, whether it's a Bible reading plan, a journaling plan, a prayer plan. Maybe it's a goal. I've got friends who, like, in their effort to be devoted to the family of God, said, like, I think it was like every other Friday, we just have people in our home. I love that. That's a really cool plan. Don't bail after two weeks. <laughs> Work it. Man, we invited these people and they didn't give us a call back. And then we invited these people and they didn't even seem like they had any fun. I'm done. Work whatever process. Commit to the process. I, I, I almost wrote in there, my note almost was believe in the process or trust the process. Listen, I'm the worst at this. I love starting things and then rethinking it and then going in a different direction. And it kills me. You have to believe that what you're doing is actually going to produce what you're hoping for, but also understand no process is perfect. If you want to grow, pick where you want to grow, find somebody that's done something like it, and just try that, and set a time frame. God, I'm going to do this thing for the next three months. I'm going to journal every day, or three days a week. Honestly, I think every day is almost easier than three days a week, because you'll forget about those three. But, I'm, but whatever, you're wired differently than I am. But pick, a, pick something and just go for it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to commit. to. I'm, I'm going to, maybe if you, I'm going to do a house church between now and the end of the year. I'm going to come to church on Wednesday nights. And listen, I'm talking church programs, not because I, my, my, I'm pastor and I get paid to make those comments, because we design those programs so that we can grow together in our faith. So maybe you're just like, okay, I just, I just need to pick something and stick with it. Is house church my, my solution for every relational issue that I've ever had in the church? No. But is it taking a step and in investing in my own spiritual development? Yeah, it sure is. So let's be committed to whatever process that you're stepping into. Number four. Number four. Living devoted requires you to wait with patience. There's a season for sowing and a season for reaping. Don't bail on your process until you've given it time to work. And the house church uh, teaching this week, some of us got it last week, some of you guys got house church tonight, um, but I made, made the statement, perseverance is patient over time, patience over time. But I believe devotion 
is commitment over time. If perseverance is, is, is patience over time, devotion is commitment over time. Like, if you want to see the fruit of your devotion, you have to wait patiently. Like, if you expect fruit to, to, to show up in your devoted efforts quicker than you expect fruit to show up when you plant an apple seed, <laughs> then you're expecting it too fast. And I know that may be discouraging, but if you, want, if you want fruit that lasts, you've got to wait for the good stuff. So walk out the process. Now, I say that all about devotion because I believe, now uh, I could preach three different sermons here based on just the results that we see in Acts 42. I won't. Um, but I just want to tie it to one application. Because in this Acts 42, or Acts 2.42, we, we see this devoted life. And then in the next few verses, verses 43 through 47, we see the benefits of the devoted life. This was not their aim. Their aim wasn't miracles and closeness and salvation. Their aim was Jesus. Their aim and, and, and the way that they were going to do that is gonna, they were going to create some boundaries in areas of their lives and say, we're going to pray all the time. We're going to spend time together and we're going to eagerly and humbly, humbly pursue spiritual growth through the teaching of the apostles. And when they, when they created those boundaries, what began to happen, I believe, probably even surprised them to the degree that it happened. They weren't chasing the results. They were enjoying the fruit of their, devo of their devoted lives. And so I, I want us to, to really briefly talk on, uh, just, just give a little application in this area of community. Because in the world that we live in today with, with social media, and it is easier to communicate than it ever has been, combined with transportation uh, advancements, and now it's easier to travel, what we find is that, one, is that there is this, um, we live in a very, very uh, transitional society. Like, we are tr like, there are transitions all the time. If you look at, and I, I should have looked at the stats, but if you look at the stats, like the average time in a single job today versus like 40 years ago, it's like astronomically different. Today, everybody's changing jobs every two or three years, right? And then with that as well, there's the ease of moving. I can move from this city to that city to that city. And even within a city, I can move from this church to that church to that church. And every single time that happens, there is a relational transition that takes place, right? This is my people. This is my community and work. This is my people. This is my community in my neighborhood. This is my people. This is my community in my church. And, 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 and God created us for community, but we've, we've, when we transition often, I'm not saying good, bad, neither here, nor there, whatever, it doesn't really matter, but we just have to be aware that when we transition often in the society that we live in today, it makes it exponentially more challenging to really develop this, this thing in community. And here's some of the things that often take place that I just want to make sure that we're aware of. You see, one of the things that happen is every time we, we move from from one transition to another, from one season to another, like we have to be thinking relationally, we have to be thinking seasons. Listen, God promises that he's gonna give you everything you need to live a godly life in him. Like that's in his word. 
everything that you need. And he designed us to be relational, which means God, in every season that you're in, God has specifically designed the community that you're in to be able to fulfill the needs that you have. I believe that. Do we take every, every opportunity that that presents? No. Are some of those seasons more challenging than others and some come more naturally? Sure. But if God says that he's going to provide everything that we need, if he's designed us to be relational, then it's, then it's there. But here's a couple of things that, that make it challenging for us in today's society. One of them is this. Because we can communicate anywhere, anytime with anyone, we feel this weight of needing to carry every single relationship from one season into the next. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about burning bridges and like every time you move jobs to say, forget you, I'm never talking to you again. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. But I think, and I've felt this before. I haven't made a bunch of moves in my life, but I, I, I've made enough to where I go like, I remember in high school, ever it is, it's like, we're gonna be best friends forever, right? And then you move to college and you're like, wait, who? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to high school with them, right? And then you have your college experience or you're, you're fresh out of high school, your first job, all that kind of stuff, and, and still highly relational. And then you move into the next season, maybe get married or a new job or you find a new city and, 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 and you have these relational transitions. And, and some of those friends keep with you forever. But how many of you made this promise in a transition in life? Man, we're going to stay close. We're going to write. We're going to talk every week. And then you leave. And all that you leave with is the guilt of not following up with what you said you're going to do in the last season. Listen, I believe in lifelong friends. But I also believe that sometimes we hold so tightly to what God provided in the last season that we fail to take hold of what God is trying to offer us in the season that we're in today. Stay close with those friends. I'm not, I'm not saying not to. But are we missing what God is placing before us because we're carrying expectations and guilt that I don't follow up enough. And I'm carrying all these things into my present season. So let me just, in this highly transitional uh, society and world that we live in, this happens all the time. You know, think about this 300 years ago, we would never carry that guilt. If I moved from one, season, one city to another town 100 miles away, I would not carry the guilt of not communicating with the people 100 miles away, would I? That's more like how the history of the world people have existed. But now we live in this magical world where everyone is a commu one little communication away. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Let's use it. Let's stay connected. But do you see what I'm saying? Let's be careful. And the other thing that we do, we, 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 we can't bring every relationship into every season, but we also can't bring yesterday's expectations into every season. If, if, if I expected my work friends to be the same as my college friends that I lived in the hall with in the dorm, I, I'm going to be constantly let down because of unmet expectations. I, I, hear, I hear this often from people leaving Crossroads and people coming to Crossroads. Man, I'm just, I just moved. You know, I'm looking for a church that was just like my last church. Ah, bummer. You're just going to be, you're going to be disappointed because there's only one of your last church. It's not about recreating what you used to have. It's about enjoying what God is giving you today. Don't let the expectations of how things used to look, and here's what we tend to do too. We, we retroactively overly glorify what it actually was, and therefore nothing today can ever meet my unrealistic expectations of the community that I desire. Duh, the people that you've known for a month are not going to have the same emotional feels of the people that you've known for the last 10 years. 
What did you expect? But are you devoted to the community that God has given you? Are you devoted to life together? Are you devoted to living these spiritual disciplines in connection, in, in community with one another? And hey, I don't know what it's going to look like, but let's just see where God takes us. Here's another thing we see often is that we go from high school to our college days, young adulthood, and then it's just like hashtag adulting. What does that mean? It means I come home from work and I watch Netflix until I get up and do it again. And, and, and I say that just because like somewhere along the lines, we just thought like that's all that life has to offer. Relationships are for the young. Don't listen to that lie. I need you and you need each other. I don't care how old you are or young you are. We need one another. Or we get so frustrated because we've carried the expectations or, of past seasons into our current season and we won't let go of other things so that we can't take hold of what. And we get so frustrated with that that we just give up altogether. I have failed over decades to try to recreate what I used to have. Therefore, I'm over it. Listen, you need relationships in this season today. And then the last tip I want to give on this, this togetherness here is that devotion assumes initiative. Devotion assumes initiative. Are you willing to live devoted to togetherness, devoted to fellowship and the breaking of bread in a world and a culture that is completely opposite that, even if it's never reciprocated? If you are always the initiator of a relationship, are you willing to stick after it because you believe in the body of Christ? And it's not because people don't like you, it's because people don't invite each other to each other's houses anymore once you become an adult. And I don't know why, but let's change that. I don't want to be conformed to the culture that I live in. Let's, let's cross our, let's create a culture that is so different from the culture of this world relationally the people on the outside look at us and be like, I want to be a part of that. Which brings us to verse 47. And the word added to the number daily those who were being saved. It wasn't because they were really good evangelists. It was because they were a really good community. So, we wrap up with this. Godly community is a gift it is an outcome of a devoted life. If you're chasing a certain expectation or picture of what you think it's supposed to be, it's gonna fall short every time and leave you frustrated or trying to fake it. So let me ask you two questions today. If you haven't taken any notes, I'd advise you to write these two down and just chew on these all week long. One, what will you be devoted to? And two, how will you live devoted? What will you be devoted to? This is the philosophical question. The second question is a more important one. How will you live devoted? Where will you build your boundary lines? Where will you build those walls? Not to be restrictive in life, but to keep you where you want to be. Be it in community or be it in your spiritual disciplines or, or be it in your prayer life or, or be it in your, your, your hunger for truth. Where are you going to build those parameters, those boundaries? What will you be devoted to? And how will you live devoted?
God, we praise you and we thank you that you guide us and you give us these, 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 just these guideposts, Lord, that we can, that we can anchor onto. God, that gives us direction, that shows us where to be. So many of us, Father, have, have just have, have taken this, this idea of, of, of the grace of God and never matured beyond not falling off a cliff. God, I'm so grateful for your grace, but Father, I want, I want to grow in maturity. Taking responsibility for the direction of my life. Not, not chasing outcomes, not chasing experiences, but living within the parameters, Father, that, that you've set for us and that we set for ourselves in order to live the fullness of, of, all, of all that you have, God. God, give us grace as we, as we take steps in this direction. Where there's some of us who are going to make these decisions and then we're going to forget the next day. Give us grace, grace for ourselves. This is the process, God. We're committed to it. We're living it. We're walking in it. And we're trusting you to guide us every step of the way. Father, we love you. God, we love you. Lead us and guide us, we ask. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.